everyone and welcome to this episode, the ROI one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm Andrew Jacobs. Return on investment, or ROI, is an elusive target in learning and development. It's the moving target which, just as you think you reach it, shifts and moves again. To make sense of this, we thought we'd engage a couple of experts to work through it. Our first guest is Dr. Laura Sicola. Laura is a leadership communication and influence expert, speaker, author and podcast host. A cognitive linguist by background, she has trained and coached executives and non-profit leaders from around the world and her TEDx talk has nearly 7 million views. Our second guest is Bo Drury. Bo is a learning impact enthusiast who wants to build products and solutions that measure and drive organisational impact through learning. Bo brings together an analytical background from chemical engineering cross-industry experience from consulting and scale-up experience from HelloFresh. We recorded this at the beginning of December last year and I highly recommend this episode. This is Women Talking About Learning, this is Laura and Bo talking about ROI. Well hi Bo, it's great to have a chance to finally meet you. Yeah Laura, nice to meet you too. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, I love the idea of talking about learning. I think you and I are both in the training, the coaching, the development space. And um, the the idea of the why we do this, the ROI or the return on investment is something that an awful lot of people need to get past first. It's like if we're looking for funding, we're looking for the support to be able to get the development that we want the first thing the budget office is going to say was, well, why do you need this? You know, what's what's the value in it for us? And I don't know about you. I, it reminded me a lot of Simon Sinek's work, um, who is a, a leader in, in the thought a thought leader in the space of leadership. And of course, his most famous book and TED Talk are start. The book is Start with Why. That's become his brand. Um, have you seen his TED Talk? Yes, Are you familiar with I have. Group? I think a lot of people have. Yeah, the three concentric circles with the Y in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and more than someone coming to ask you, it's also just why Why are you doing this in the first place? And I think a lot of learning professionals do it because they care about others, but actually um, uh, do also ask themselves the question, want to be working on things that make an impact, right? Yes. Yes. And what kind of impact, how would you, if someone were working with or wanted to work with you in this space, um, but it, well, why don't we start with this first? Give everybody a sense of the kind of work that you and your company do, and then I'll share with mine so they at least have an idea of who are these two women and why are we listening to them? <laughs> What's the value? Let's, yeah. let's start with that. Good, good shout. So I'm uh, impact lead, so I actually uh, work with a learning impact every single day. And I work um, in a edtech scale-up. Um, we do power skills training uh, in a blended way. Um, but essentially what I do is I work in the product team. So making sure that we can measure and drive impact through our product. Um, and I also work with making sure that at, in the client space, that with all of our clients, we actually set it up in the right way. So again, we can drive and measure impact. Um, and and I try to make sure we use the most relevant uh, research out there on this topic as well. So I bring that um, from the outside in and the, any use cases we develop, I try to share that with the outside world again. So that's in in a nutshell what I do um, every day. What about and who you? would come to you? Who who would who uh, if someone's coming to you personally? They want your app or they want the trainings that you provide. What is it they're looking for? What's the missing link? 
Yes. Has actually a wide variety of answers to that question. There's generally there are companies um, that want to train their people. Um, and one end of the spectrum, we've got companies really knowing and having experienced how um, impactful it is when you do training well and when people are upskilled and when also especially when there are transitions and transformations happening when they potentially have to make quite a big change um, and people need to come along in that process um, all the way to a, basically the other end of the spectrum which is hey they, you just know that training works and that people are more engaged more motivated will stay with you longer when you train them um, but without a sort of bigger goal so we've got um, all different types of companies and also sizes of companies um, that come to us to to ask for impactful upskilling. And I think you just touched on a really important example of a why of the return on the investment when people for people to stay in the workforce in, in a particular with an employer, they need to feel like they have the opportunity to grow, that there's something new, something challenging. They don't feel stagnant uh, financially or cognitively or in any other way creatively. So by offering the opportunity to learn something else, to get better at something they want to get better at, that's incentive to stay. That makes the person feel valued and realize that they've got the opportunity to to continue to grow. That's, that's great incentive for just workforce retention, talent retention. I mean, does, is that what you're hearing? Yeah, absolutely. From a lot of our clients. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious to hear what what types of people come to you. And it's same both smaller companies and individuals, but also the larger, the Fortune 100, Fortune 500s. I uh, was just sort of out in your neck of the woods just a couple of uh, months ago in Denmark, which was, uh, I know, I think you've got, you mentioned that you've got some uh, offices up, no, Netherlands, it wasn't Denmark, wrong one, but uh, out in Europe, nevertheless, I don't get to get there too often. Uh, I'm in Philadelphia. But the uh, typically the people who are coming to me are leaders, either senior executives or people who are in the succession pipeline who are interested in, in moving up to the top of the career chain, so to speak. And they're technical experts in their field, whether it's finance or cybersecurity or marketing or whatever it happens to be. But their ability, those those soft skills are what I what I heard you call power skills. I love that label because let's face it, soft skills are hard, ironically. But their ability to communicate and to lead people it is not on par, is not equivalent to their uh, their technical skills. And if your technical skills are great, but you can't, you don't have those leadership skills, then that's kind of a guarantee that you're going to stay exactly where you are. You hit what I refer to as a linguistic glass ceiling. And the ability to communicate as a leader and get all sorts of people on board with your vision, then that's really where, that's when you're able to transcend that ceiling and move into the leadership role. So those are the people who are coming to me, either those who need to be better in leadership or who aspire to higher levels of leadership and need those communication skills, executive presence, uh, diplomacy, public speaking, or just general day-to-day, -day, but that ability to connect and, and bring people together. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And and you, you talk a lot about leaders uh, moving up in the, um, basically into more senior roles. What about individual contributors that perhaps have a more influencing role in the organization rather than a leadership role? Is that is that also your target group or would that be a slightly different set of skills? 
No, those are so it's a question of what skill they're looking for. I offer three major kinds of programs. There's one-on-one, which is executive coaching, and that's really more for the top level leaders. Uh, and but I also do trainings, and those can be for teams, for departments, for uh, very varied ranges of contribution, managers, directors, et cetera. Um, and usually for those teams, uh, those levels, it's about what I like to call breaking through the expert's curse, breaking the expert's curse, where you're such a technical expert in computers and development and app building or in financial analytics or risk management or something like that. But can you translate that expertise to someone who doesn't share it and doesn't want to share it? They just want you to tell them, so what? Take all that data that you've got and tell me why it matters to me and what I should do with it and go from there. And that's a a skill gap that many people have never really thought about how to bridge. And when you can translate your expertise so that you may be in cybersecurity, but can you talk to the marketing team? Can you talk to the client? Can you talk to whoever else it happens to be so that they get it? That's where influence grows. And that's what most people are looking for. That's where I come in. So the expert's curse breaking is more where I'm uh, working with the teams. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And and when we bring up the word ROI, or when we think about uh, w- what's the first thing, how, how would you answer the question, hey, can you tell me what your ROI is or what the ROI is of your work? How, how do you answer that? I answer that question with another very simple question, which is, are you tired of not hearing yes as often as you want? Are you tired of hearing no? Are you tired of not getting through and just getting people to understand, appreciate what you're saying and take your advice? Yeah, that's it. So, and what about you? Yeah. So, so, um, and it's it's interesting because I think there are several levels of ways of looking at this. So so the ROI. Um, so I we work mainly with uh, clients. So companies. So companies are um, need a reason to put resources and time and and effort into project certain projects. So looking at what what is the ROI of what is the payback going to be of an investment we're going to make. And an investment might be a learning program that we set up with them. Um, um, but there's also the level of the individual, which is, I think, what you were touching more on, like, what is the ROI for myself to actually invest in my own time in and, and maybe money, resources into um, taking this course and putting my effort in and really trying to learn something different. Um, and I think they're very linked as well. So um, with the ROI, with, uh, you, there is no company ROI if there isn't an individual ROI. So it's actually something we've we've struggled with a little bit as a training company because should we focus more on our on the organizations on the clients or should we focus more on the learners and the reality is we have to do both so we have to start with um the, the learner so what is it individually that we are helping individual people with and we we also have um empowering leader programs we call it i think they're yours are very specific ours are maybe a little bit broader but i'd be keen to see uh, what the similarities and differences are but how do we get a leader so from an individual contributor to become a leader that's a completely different skill set so how do you learn those skills um and each 
leader, each individual that we train um, uh, needs to have an ROI. There needs to be a, something in it for them uh, to, to put the effort in and to learn and to follow the program and to try new behaviors and to stick with those. Um, and then for that group, there needs to be a reason why uh, a company invests in that group to become um, uh, empowering leaders. And there needs to be a kind of top line um, re reason why um, uh, they're going to invest in that. So that's a little bit uh, of a high level overview of how, how I see impact and ROI. So when you're approaching a new prospective corporate client and you're talking to them about bringing in some training for their people, how would you tell them what the ROI is? What in that they say, why should we do this? What's the value? How will we measure the ROI? Because I think that's the the key for most is how to operationalize these kinds of things in a way that is measurable. Yes. Yeah. And there are definitely three different elements to that. The first is, um, so they come to us asking, why should we do this? I, I have to ask them a question back, I guess, same place you have had to ask a question. What what's important right now? Why uh, why is it? Why, what do you want to achieve with this? And usually, then we have to go into a, a, a we have to map that out. We have to map out what are the business goals that you want to achieve with this. Um, I, I always do it make it more concrete. So, what are performance metrics like? How we do we know we'll succeed? So, usually the business goals are maybe quite high level. So they are, for example, increase the retention of our people, or um, we're going through a, a digital transformation, or maybe a green transition. And we've got these overarching business goals we need to achieve and we know we can't achieve them with the current skill set of our, our people and then very concretely in one year what does success look like for this certain target group um, and then the next is okay what is the behavior change that's linked with that that we need to set in motion and then from there it's um, what are the learning goals and so if you we've mapped that out completely from business goals all the way down to learning goals that the program needs to, to start to um, influence and to to um, uh, have as a, as a the program needs to have these learning goals, and then uh, then we can go to the next step, which is okay. How do we then operationalize this? What kind of program will it be? How will we run it? And how will we get people to join? And then there's a kind of operational part, and then the third part is okay. We've done the operational bit, and we had a hypothesis. Okay, if people learn this, they will change their behavior, they will achieve better results, and the business will achieve its results. We need to then validate every step of that. We need to say, hey, are people applying their skills? Are they making small changes in their work or sometimes big changes in their work? And then are the results that we hoped for at the start, is that happening? And that's a whole, basically, we, we need to have an impact uh, mapping plan, an uh, impact measurement plan to measure each step, the behavior change, but also the um, uh, uh, the results, whether they're coming in as expected and whether we attribute them to the program. So is can you give an example? So there's a lot of nodes to that. So can you give an example, like a case study of we were brought in to do this kind of project because this was the problem that they wanted us to solve. Here's the training we did and here's how they measured. Yeah, definitely. So we work um, at a uh, with a professional services firm. Um, they have a very interesting structure, which is that they have um, partners who have been there for a long time, sort of at the top of the organization. And they have a lot of uh, new talent coming in, uh, advising organizations. And of course, they need to be slightly ahead of the market because they're advising large uh, organizations. Uh, and they get a lot of talent in from universities. And they are now uh, gener yeah, 
a different generation than the partners sitting there. So they have different expectations of work-life balance, um, of how a workday should look like. Um, and of course, changes is ever present. So clients are struggling to keep up with change. So, so uh, the company needs to constantly uh, be advising that, that change, that change that's happening. Um, and, um, uh, uh, there's this level of mid ma- mid managers that have to bring this all into balance. So they have to um, get basically deal. They have to um, make sure the partners are happy. They need to make sure that the people uh, flowing in, so the new talent is is working up, uh, well, um, and they have to uh, make sure that the clients are are also extremely happy with the the consultancy services that they provide, uh, and they probably have a, a personal life as well where they're buying a house, having kids, and they're at this middle crunch point where they're getting a lot of stress from all different angles. Um, so, so our challenge with them was how to uh, help this this level. So, new managers. So, again, they're also learning a completely new skill set. So, this is very much, I think, within your target group as well. They're no longer an individual expert. They are leading a team on a client, um, and they have to deliver all of these things. They really have to step out of their problem solving mode and into how do I get the team to be effective and serve the team rather than um, solve the problem myself. Um, so with that client, we developed a program um, on on getting these individuals the new skills that they need to be effective in this role. So clearly a lot of influencing, clearly a lot of um, uh, leading, empowering leadership, listening, uh, asking questions. Um, and uh, the way that we've measured each step of the way is so so our one of our main tools for measuring the the apply whether they're applying their skills is called the moment of truth so because our our training is um split up into different blocks um after every block we get the um uh, the learners to set a moment where they're going to apply their skills and then we follow them uh, through the app and uh, we remind them, we give them extra tools, we give them support where needed, uh, get them to practice if they want to. Um, and then we let, get them to reflect on their moment of truth, whether they, whether it's worked. So if they had a, a difficult conversation with someone in their team, we ask them to reflect on how it went when they used the new framework, the new skills that they're learning. Um, so using these moments of truth, we can actually tell, hey, have they been applying it? Have they been succeeding? Or what's been in the way from them applying it? And when we do this across a large group, we can actually see some trends coming up and we can see some potentially blockers in the way, um, knowing whether this behavior change that we're driving is happening or whether it's actually being blocked by some other factors. Um, uh, so that's a, a first step. And the next step is is then looking at, okay, is that actually driving an improvement in the results we want to see? So if we want to see happier teams, um, then we, we're measuring the, the NPS score, for example, of the teams. If we're um, also... And NPS, the NPS was, can you share the acronym? The what score? Yeah, that's a net uh, promoter score. So yes. that's okay. knowing whether the, the em- employees are happy. So that's one, if, if you're an empowering leader, you're essentially getting um, uh, your employees to be to be happier. So um, yeah, this is a short overview of a few things that we do to to go to do that process together with a client. Yeah. Um, and I'm really curious now, yeah, what, what, what are the things that you do to um, set up for success, for ROI success with uh, your clients? 
Sure. Well, you know, since you mentioned the NPS score, I'll give a similar kind of example. There's a, a university um, that I was brought in to work with their um, their entire admissions department. And in the U.S., a big part of the admissions process um, for high school seniors who are starting to explore which schools they want to go to, they'll often go and visit the university. They'll do a tour of the university. They'll get, they'll sit down in an auditorium and someone will give them a presentation about all that the university does. And so I was brought in to train, to do a series of trainings with the entire admissions office, uh, ranging from the, the dean down to the presenters who were administrative staff and right down to the university students who are volunteer tour guides, working with them all on their presentation skills and their ability to uh, to do all those kinds of fun things. And at the end, what they found was compared to the prior year, after they had completed my training, the the NPS, the Net Promoter Score for the university admissions experience, um, their NPS score went up. After doing my training, and they'd been using the same training or the same um, tour program admissions uh, presentation program for however many years, so their score had been quite consistent over time. So to be able to show that their program that their score went up was huge. Uh, on a on a separate level and a very different level, there was someone that I was brought in to work with who was the senior vice president of finance in a. a large global corporation. And he was in line for the CFO, the chief financial officer role, knowing that in a couple of years, the CFO would be retiring. And the board of directors gave him a gift. They said, the fact is, when you talk, we don't understand you. So fix it. Or when the spot opens, we're going to find someone else. So it's it's not a lovely gift in the moment, but it's actually a very helpful gift because you're at least aware that there's a problem and we got to fix it. So they brought me in to say, What's the problem? Why are they not connecting somehow? And we work together to figure out what is it about the way that he's talking, the the stories that he is or isn't telling, the way he's relaying data, the manner in his delivery, what's happening that it's going in one ear and out the other somehow when he's talking for, to the board. And so my job was to identify what was happening there, work with him on better skills to in specifically for board training and really for which extended beyond that as well, uh, but he's now CFO. So that's the uh, easy ROI there. He has, is now the, the chief financial officer as opposed to just the senior vice president. So the ROI is, are you, is for him is, am I going to get that promotion? And for the organization is, if he's not ready or capable of becoming that, of, of getting that promotion to the top, what does that require of you? How much money are you going to have to invest in finding someone else? Is he going to stay? Will you have to replace him too? What will that cost you? The on, I mean, the amount of layers, the number of layers of cost, both from a, a financial level and a time and productivity and in institutional knowledge, all of that will be lost if he does not take that role. So there's a lot of ways to measure what that means to the organization, the value of success in that space. So those are two different kinds of success measures. Absolutely. And um, I think there are many more, but it's, it, yeah. Are, do you have any reflections on, on overall how companies or individuals should, should look at ROI and have you seen this being done in different ways? Uh, sure. Part of it is when someone is coming to me and they're seeking coaching, for an executive uh, or even for a team, 
an important question that I ask during that initial strategy call that we have is how would you measure success? I want to know how they would define it. What is the need? And if it's something like a year-long program that we're going to do for coaching, I might say to them, what's going to be different a year from now compared to where it is at the moment? What is, how would you describe it? And it might be quantitative, but it might also be qualitative. I mean, there are people that I've worked with who have real fear of and anxiety about presentations and public speaking, and they have to talk to the board or they have to be in the media, or they know they're going to have to do that if they move up to the next level. And that is something that causes great anxiety. Even now, if they have to talk, uh, they know that they're going to have to give a short presentation in a meeting, they don't sleep for a week. Mm -hmm. Their stomach is in knots. So they might say to me, I would just like to be able to sleep the night before. They might just want to not feel like they're going to throw up before they have to go into that meeting. And I mean, that's a, a dramatic example, but I have heard people say that that would be a massive change in their experience, in their in their existence to not suffer that way. And then, of course, being able to perform better in the moment. So that's a qualitative example. But as long as I know how they would operationalize and we'll work together to put that on paper, then we can identify after it's done, were we successful or not in achieving those? And of course, from the beginning, are those operationalized measurements compelling to you? Is that enough reason to do this? Because I need to know for me that you want something real out of this too. Otherwise, I, you have to be the right client for me, just like you. I'm sure you don't take every client who comes by or every prospect. You have to make sure that it's a good fit for you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've indeed, uh, I think we agree very much on, okay, this, this idea that there's a bigger, there's a why, there's a bigger why behind this. And that why is very valuable, both yes. in, either to an organization or to an individual. Um, then of course we have to consider also the, the costs because the ROI is the, uh, whether the investment is worth it. So if it's going to cost more than what it's worth. So if it would cost more than what it's worth to upscale an individual to take a role when it's actually cheaper to maybe hire in that role from, from elsewhere, then that's, that's, I think that is an important consideration to think about. I, th I do think there it's may maybe where it's a bit different per for individuals and for organizations, because potentially for indiv individuals and your progression in your career, you, yeah, you, what are the costs there? I guess I mean you invest in yourself and you want to progress little by little. But is, would there be a way where it, the cost is greater than the benefit that you get out of it? Do you think? Well, one of the so let's flip that around because often when we when I do have those discussions with someone and it's typically the the organization that's coming to have me work with an individual. Although I do occasionally get uh, individuals who will find me either on LinkedIn or they saw my TED talk or something else and they'll come to me to make a personal investment in their development. But the the alternate the opposite question sometimes is easier to answer. What's the cost of failure? What's the cost of not making this investment in yourself. If you know that this, uh, to the example that I used a moment ago with regard to the, the senior vice president who wanted to become CFO, there is definitely a tangible measure, a financial measure on if this person does not get ready so to, to take the CFO role in another two years, then, okay, is he going to quit? 
if he's stagnant there and go find somewhere else that will accept him in this role, then you, how much money will it take? How much time will it take to find and train his replacement? And then the CFO, you have to hire that next person. That's a two-year process for many organizations, sometimes longer to hunt for that. That's expensive in time. It's expensive in money. You hope it's the right person. They have no institutional knowledge. These are massive expenses. Do you want to undergo all this? Plus, then there's a culture shift and there's so many other things that go on that often will drive other people away. So mm -hmm. there's a ripple effect to this person as an individual not having success in that space, and it creates a lack of success for the rest of the organization. So it, there are definite ways to estimate the dollar value of what the cost of failure would be. And then you compare that to what am I, what's the fee for service in this? And you realize it's, it's a fraction, a tiny fraction comparatively, right? How about you? Yeah, no, I was I was considering it also from both ends. Like indeed, I think we tend to not invest enough in ourselves in terms yes. of development. So I think it's much more likely that the cost, indeed, that that we're actually accruing this cost of not investing in ourselves yes. to make that next step than the opposite way around. For organizations, it's it's really it's quite different. I would say so. I see it quite differently because. Um, they have they have a certain budget or they have what well, they have usually have a certain spend that they spend on on uh, upskilling within their organization um and they have to make a decision about where am i going to spend it and um, where is the return going to be the biggest for me and what we see is we see there are certain career moments where they um where it where there is a higher return and therefore uh, they they should spend more money and if they don't there's again that that um cost of not doing it so um there's there's for example it's uh, onboarding Mm -hmm. When new employees start, especially when there's big groups of, let's say, um, graduates joining, how we, can we upskill them into into certain roles? Then there's there's that point of becoming a first time manager. Um, that's a completely different skill set. You have to let go of your um, individual skills and and bring on the leadership skills. And then there's in a lot of companies they have uh, high potential programs that kind of. Uh, longer programs where they escort sort of high potential individuals, uh, fast track them through the program. And then there's also senior, senior for senior leadership, there seems to be a lot of um, uh, moments where upskilling is, is important. Also part of the reasons that you've explained. Yeah. So, so, and then, and then the other part of the coin is, Hey, but why aren't we investing constantly in someone's development and different parts of development are needed at different times. So why is it only in those certain points of, um, in your career or perceived, you know, kind of trying to make it into a quite a kind of a mechanical, okay, when you, after three years, you're going to be a first time manager, then you're going to get this. And then after five years, after seven years, after 10 years. Um, yeah. And I think, um, the way I see it is, is potentially by, by taking a more personalized approach, um, and having a kind of always on, uh, way of working that could, um, potentially lead to, a better way of working for every individual and therefore potentially a more motivated workforce as well. I have to say, though, then that ROI is harder to calculate because every individual having individual goals and individual progression into what they need, that's then harder to, to acute. It's almost harder to accumulate into a uniform ROI then. Sure. And I think it depends also if there are going to be 
group trainings versus individual trainings. If if you're going to the individual level that far down in an organization, that of course, I don't know how scalable that is, but to the extent that you have a group of, we'll say developers who need to figure out or who across the board need to get better at communication and translating the expertise so that they are better able to connect with internal clients, uh, people in other departments or um, whoever they're audience might be if they've been getting complaints or the customer service department has not been getting great scores, then that's across the board. Our whole team needs to level up in this particular mm-hmm. area. So that's an easier investment to make for the people where for levels where there are much larger numbers of people. Uh, and that's where you're going to measure the the investment on a per head basis. And also I think when we look at employee retention, you know, what's the the investment in providing trainings that people want and or need relative to if you for example a, a company may look at what's your what's your turnover rate on average are you losing 12 to 15% of your employees at a certain level over the every year that's a, in some industries that's a lot of turnover in some industries it's not okay well would training in some particular area be enough to keep half of those people in. Then, okay, we look at what's the cost of replacing those employees year over year over Mm -hmm. year versus if we could keep them in for another three years in the company. So it's an easier number to to measure and say, which is greater and go from there. Keep it um, objective in that way. Yeah. 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 And here you're also getting to a nice point, which is something I've heard mentioned and discussed quite a lot in our industry, which is um, well, to, to get a really accurate way of measuring it, we, we have to run A-B tests, for example. Sure. So um, uh, train a group. So in that example that you just gave, so actually train uh, half of that group mm. and then see whether fewer people leave uh, versus the other group. Don't train them but uh, and then see what the difference is. Um, so I, I haven't actually seen many uh, clients or many learning professionals doing this uh, at all. Um, uh, as it's, it, of course, if you have an assumption and a hypothesis, you want to immediately roll it out across everyone because you don't want half, you know, don't want those people to leave that would be in the half that is not going through the training. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also an interesting one. Like how far do we go in, um, uh, measuring, trying to get that measurement, um, uh, of both the costs and the impact to do that perfect calculation versus just saying, Hey, we have a hypothesis. It's our best hypothesis. Um, and we, we're just going to go for it and we're going to measure um, uh, whatever we can to corroborate our story or to un- in- unvalidate our story because it's either going to be data to show, yes, you were right or, or mm, it's not going down. So it's not exactly as we predicted. Um, so, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Like how much effort should we put in to get to that, that ROI? Well, I think sometimes it's also important to just say, how much budget do we have? Or uh, on the flip side, how much are we hemorrhaging employees? How much are we losing just massive quantities of people? Or where are we really financially suffering? Um, And what is the cause of that? So wherever is your greatest pain point as an organization, wherever is your greatest constant loss, that's the hole that you want to plug first. So it seems like that's where we need to put in the most Uh, amount of effort and resources into 
training the people or cleaning house for that matter, starting with new people. If you've got the wrong people in the wrong seat, it's not about training. It's about you've you've got other issues from an HR level, perhaps, that you need to work on. So um, identifying the the biggest problem and then focusing the initial steps, at least in that. So absolutely. And I and think asked, seeing how, yeah, go for it. No, well, you had just, you asked earlier something about the, uh, making the initial, the independent investment in oneself. And I think how to measure that is one thing we forget to do when we're just looking at our own salaries as an individual is that there it's, there's a compound interest, so to speak in your promotion. So if you're in the middle, you've got another 25 years left in your career, you look at your salary right now and you think, okay, well, how much am I earning? How much can I put away, invest in retirement, et cetera, each month? Well, if I get a promotion next year, that raises my salary 15%, let's say. Okay. Now that over the cost, the course of how many years? And then what if three more years after that, you get another promotion, which raises that salary another 15 or 20% or whatever the number is. We need to recognize what that will lead to, as opposed to if we don't get this first promotion and it takes us four more years before we get the first promotion and raise then the compounding changes. It's like if you invest $100 or 100 euros in the stock market now, or you wait five years and invest 1,000, over time, the the smaller investment earlier makes, you know, stock markets being what they are, that makes a bigger difference. So you do need to make that investment earlier to get yourself launching ahead that much faster. You, the the ROI will be seen in the long run. It's harder to wait sometimes, but it does make a big difference. And I can think we can apply that to organizations as well. So investing smaller amounts earlier on in uh, in, in in different employee groups um, will make a, will also have that compounding interest because when they start using those skills, they'll immediately they'll keep building that even, um, uh, and we're we're helping them to stay motivated, stay longer uh, at the company, so they're being more productive and they're staying longer. There's also even already compounded, um, yeah, and and I think there it's super important to stay well in touch. To, to make those business cases together with the business. I think this is where we're, so you're saying, I think as an individual, we need to um, think for ourselves, what's our why, where do we wanna go? And I think as a company, that's an L&D function should also start from, hey, where is it that we wanna go? Where are we hemorrhaging uh, talent? Where are we um, not achieving our business goals? And then go there and then look at what learning can mean for uh, a change that individuals, teams, uh, and then eventually rolling up to the business is going is going to need and uh, and work from there. Yes, one hundred percent agree. And I think that's something that people within the company, if you are seeking the training, you want to get the the training or the coaching, and you want your employer to be willing to sponsor it to approach them from that perspective and say, look, yes, I want to get this training. I want to get this kind of coaching. And here's the investment that it would be, but here's the value I see it in you. We need to uh, to use that as part of the request, not just, hey, would you be nice and let me have this training? I really want it. It's how will this, everybody tunes into the what's in it for me perspective. So when we do the pitch, we have to tell the employer what's in it for them. Why would this be an investment with a return and not just an expense. If you can make that case, I think that you're 90% of the way to a yes. 
Indeed. Oh, nice perhaps way that's to a, round a, yourself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that's it. We're just about at the end of time, but I have loved this conversation and I hope offline we can continue it. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me today, Bo. I, I hope so too. I think we can uh, uh, definitely continue this conversation and it was great to have a, the start of it with you today, Laura. Thanks. Likewise. And thanks everybody else. Good luck. I'm not allowed to have favorite episodes, but if I did, this would probably be on that list. This is a topic that we're working on here and have a product that we're looking to launch later in the year. I've got a bit of knowledge in the area, but still learn absolutely loads from this conversation. It's a massive thank you to Laura and Bo for their time and contribution. And as always, you'll find all their details in the show notes, along with their contact details, etc. Make sure that you mention women talking about learning when you connect with them. It's really satisfying for our guests to know that people have listened to them. We're currently recording more episodes, and if you're interested in being on the podcast, please do let us know. All the details, along with our website, and how you can donate to Women Talking About Learning are all in the show notes. It's really important for us that you like and subscribe via your podcast platform if you can. It makes it much easier for people to find us and just spreading the word about the great conversations that we get to listen into. We'll be back in another couple of weeks with the next episode of Women Talking About Learning, and it's another episode that you will not want to miss. It's the invisibility one. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.